first reading may be found on page 714 in the Church Bibles, and you can read it on the screens. It's taken from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 to 18. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30, and can be found on page... 977 of your Bibles. At rest for the weary. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, is this going to go on booming? Okay. Otherwise, uh, I'm quite happy to raise my voice so that even... As we have been told already, our vicar is away in the west side of Africa with quite a number of people from this deanery visiting that particular diocese. I don't know if Mike has ever lived in Africa before, But for those, and I know there are some who have, 
A service usually lasts between three and five hours, and the preacher is expected to preach for at least an hour and a half. I thought, therefore, we ought to be in fellowship with Michael this morning. So I've cut my sermon down to one hour. Shall we pray? Father, Mike may be thousands of miles away from us. We pray again for him and those with him that you will anoint their testimony and witness and his preaching. That they may have a wonderful time for you and with you. And I thank you that you won't forget us in your blessing too. Amen. In repentance and rest is your salvation from Isaiah. Come unto me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's always a very good thing when we come to any passage of Scripture is to look at the context, the background, against which and within which it was written. The background to Isaiah's situation was dire in the extreme. Isaiah wrote his prophecy some 700 years before Christ was born, and he warned the people of Judah of coming judgment upon them because they failed to obey his word and live in harmony with his principles. They were filled with social injustice and hypocrisy. He yearned for them to trust him again and return to him and not to go after foreign political advisors. God said through Isaiah, these people come near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. only two people who know the answer to that question. It's not your wife or husband or your children. It's God and you. Their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made only by rules taught by men. In the chapter set for us in Isaiah this morning, Isaiah cries out, Woe to the obstinate nation, declares the Lord. And a little later we read, This is what the Holy One of Israel says, Because you have rejected my message, relied upon oppression and depended upon deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. We're very blessed in this church because we've had parochial church councils for years that have looked after us. But long before I came, and many of you were here at the time, that wall was falling away from the church. It was in a serious condition, and all sorts of projects had to be cancelled so that the money could be expended on pinning that wall, and it's still there. 
But can you imagine a bulging wall suddenly collapsing? That's what God said his people were like. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from the hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. So we learn the context of God's loving words is a terrible and extremist position. Whereas for many, many years, God had promised them great victory if they were obedient to him. And if they continued to trust him. But here he shows them that because of their sinful neglect and disobedience, the tables are reversed. And God's people will flee away. And it says this, until there's only a standard bearer on the hill to defend them against the enemy. But staggeringly, at the end of God's words of impending judgment, which were read to us, Isaiah cries out, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Think of it. This morning, when you got out of bed, God had arisen with an intention of blessing you. We're told that God never sleeps. But I love the imagery of the scriptures here. When I think of God getting up so that he can bless me. Many commentators have called Isaiah a Bible in miniature. Who can tell me how many chapters are there in the Bible? No? There's 66 books. So you answered the question I meant to ask. Thank you very much. I love a man of telepathic ability. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. How many chapters are there? Not you. How many books are there in the Old Testament? 39. And there's 39 chapters in Isaiah which largely, not completely, speak of God's wrath and his anger upon his children because of their disobedience. And who can tell me what the first verse of chapter 40 is? Sorry? You're looking it up. <laughs> All right, that's good. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. There follow 27 books in the New Testament telling of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection. And there's 27 chapters telling of the coming of God's promised Messiah. So you <laughs> If you want to read the Bible in one, read through the book of Isaiah. In the middle verse of the middle chapter of those last 27 chapters of Isaiah, we read this. The middle verse of the middle chapter of the last 27 chapters. We all, 
like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we come to the Matthew passage passage that was set for us this morning. We read of that one whom Isaiah had foretold, calling out an irritation to the people of his day and to you and me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's the background to this amazing invitation from the lips of the Lord Jesus? Well, let me read it. Just a few verses before those set for us this morning. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that have been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Wow! It's the Son of God talking. Jesus Many of those well-loved and chosen cities where most of Jesus' miracles had taken place stand under his judgment, just like Israel as a nation in the times of Isaiah. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In preaching about this very scripture some 25 years ago, John Stott said this, I have the privilege of bringing to you the greatest invitation that has ever been made. These are the tenderest and most appealing words. Come. Four questions. Who is doing the inviting? To whom is the invitation given? What is offered in the invitation? And what is expected of us? Who is inviting? Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. I picked this up a few weeks ago and I've stuck it in my Bible. He is so much more than just a name. His most wonderful title is Lord Jesus Christ. And each one of those designations reminds us of something unique about him. Lord, because he is the supreme ruler of heaven and earth and exalted now, our master because we are his disciples. 
Christ, the Anointed One, the long-expected Messiah who will set his people free and who presides over the cosmos he has created, Jesus. That precious human name, meaning Savior, given him by divine command at his birth. Who is it who is giving the invitation? Jesus. Do you know, in the opening words of John's Gospel, we read this, the Gospel that is used so often at Christmas time as the Christmas Gospel. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You, 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 every one of you. And though you might not think so, me. We've all been created by God. There's a wonderful creation going on right now in our curate's wife. And we look forward to the birth of Melanie's child. I'm so glad he didn't come yesterday or today because I wanted Adam to lead the service for us. But God in Jesus is the one who gives this invitation. This man who called God his father for which the religious leaders hated him. To whom was the invitation given? To those who were under a burden. Every one of us, at some time in our lives, is carrying a burden. Some of us feel we're carrying a lot of burdens. The burden of anxiety and fear. Burden of temptations. Do you find as you seek to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he wants of you, you feel tempted more and more to go in the opposite direction. Burden of responsibilities. Burden of loneliness. There are many here, if not all of us at different times, have lost loved ones. And there's an ache and a pain which can never, ever be taken away. Frequently, when I have had the privilege of conducted, conducting funerals in preparation, I pray for the silent tear on the pillow at night, which no one else ever sees. The burden of loneliness. Burden of failure. Do you know the whole Royal Navy in the near future is going to fall apart? Do you know why? Because it's failed. It's letting Paul leave. <laughs> Be comforted, Paul. I left the Air Force quite a long time ago and it's still going. 
but some of us carry a terrible sense of failure. Wendy and I lived on a side of a hill overlooking the Atlantic Ocean for five years before we came here. We believed that God gave us that house. And we prayed, Lord, this is a house. May it be a beacon on a hill for you. And so far as we know, not one single person turned to faith in Christ, though our witness went to them personally and individually and collectively. sense of failure, a sense of guilt. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is, he cleanses me from the guilt of my sin. Oh, I know I'm a forgiven sinner. I know that one day I shall go and see Jesus face to face because of what he did on the cross. But I often feel guilty about things in the past. I find it difficult to let go. And sometimes we walk around with a burden of sin knowingly. Oh, other people don't know. The invitation is given to all who are struggling in life. In Jesus' time, nearly all the powerful, the rich, and those who thought they were rulers turned away from him and eventually hounded him to the cross. But this morning, are you carrying a burden? Perhaps nothing to do with the list that I've mentioned. The Lord wants to lift that burden from your shoulders. What is it that Jesus offers? He bore our load on the cross. In simple language, it was to ease, to lift, to give rest from any of those burdens. How? Because as Isaiah 700 years before had said, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord God has laid on him, my son, God could say, the iniquity of us all. In Matthew's account of the crucifixion, we read that at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was preaching on this as a curate early in my time in Anglican ministry, and the vicar's wife came up to me afterwards and said, Don't let me ever hear you saying again, that God turned his back on Jesus. He didn't. I say lovingly to that person, rubbish! The whole of Scripture tells us the whole point of God sending Jesus was so that he could carry your sin and mine. And when he yelled out like that, it was a real rejection that Jesus felt, which you and I will never, even in eternity, ever understand. And he did it for you and for me so that he could carry your burden and mine. What was happening at that moment? Well, Paul explains it beautifully to the Corinthian church. God made him <coughs> who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, you can look at me 
and see the righteousness of God. Well, not exactly just yet. It's a work in progress. But that's what he's doing for each one of us. While we were yet sinners, Paul taught the Roman church, Christ died for us and thereby showed us his love. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the last question. What does he ask of us? Because there is an ask of you and me that the Lord Jesus Christ would say, because he says, come to me all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And then, having removed the burden off our shoulders, whatever those burden or burdens might be, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He offers to ease our burdens. He draws us into a relationship with his Father himself that we might become the righteousness of God. And then he invites us, having taken our burdens off us, to come his disciples and learn from him. What does that mean? Well, I've got under these words in my Bible, I've written yoke, dash, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. I would like to invite you this morning to go back, take your service sheets, look up these readings in Isaiah and Matthew, and then read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's the burden that the Lord puts on you and me. Four things you and I can do. Admit I'm a sinner. That's the vital starting point of our relationship with God. Secondly, believe that Jesus can take my burdens off me. Thirdly, consider that he will place his burden of discipleship on me. And fourthly, something to do. Come to him in faith daily. A, B, C, D. Admit, believe, consider, do. He means it. He loves you that much. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on your word that I ask, please, that you will take from every single person's ear and mind that which has not come from you and that which is from you for each individual. Take into each individual's heart that we may grow in grace and our knowledge of you. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. Thank <laughs> you.
Thanks, John, very much. Uh, We're going to sing again in response, (coughs) uh, in Christ alone. Let's stand together. We'll take a minute and then we'll sing.